welcome to High Action. I'm Perry Smith. I'm Will Brom. I'm John Story, and together we're the New West Guitar Group. On today's episode, we're going to feature guitarist Josh Smith. A special thanks to our Patreon members and our sponsors who make this podcast possible. For more information on High Action and how you can get involved, please visit www.newwestguitar.com slash highaction. Hello, everyone in the podcast stratosphere. (laughs) This is episode 11 of High Action. We've got Josh Smith today. But before we talk about that, let's talk about this weekend. What happened this weekend? Pretty crazy weekend. We we have a new president-elect. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Woke up on Saturday and was like, whoa. Yeah. yeah. I know. I know. It took a minute. Took a minute for those Nevadans to count those votes. It still is <laughs> oh, taking a minute. man. Pennsylvania. How about Pennsylvania? You know, Pennsylvania is a place that we have loved playing as New West Guitar Group. I mean, our most recent CD, Live at the Machunk Opera House, recorded yeah. in Pennsylvania near Allentown. Got to give that state some props. They turned it back around. And there's a lot of good people in that state. I mean, there's a lot of music lovers. There's a lot of guitar lovers in that state. Yeah, and, and you know, as, as nerve-wracking as it was to go through this election, it was actually pretty exciting to see, like, the sheer number of people that turned out to Seriously. vote. And I, yeah. that gives me a lot of hope. I really dig that. I'm, I'm old school like that, and I, I really that, – that made me really – excited as nerve-wracking as as it was to kind of await a lot of these results but yeah i think it's a sign that good things are to come and in the meantime it's just an inspiration for us here on the high action podcast to keep churning out the best stuff for you guys as we get through this crazy time this crazy transition this crazy pandemic (laughs) talking to cats like josh smith wonderful blues rock player when I listen to his playing, it just lights me up. Like, it's so dynamic. And he talks a lot about dynamics. That That's, like, one of his biggest tools that he likes yeah. to utilize. Yeah. Perry, what were some things you took away talking with Josh Smith? Man, a lot of things. He's a really killing player on so many levels. But I just wanted to say one thing real quick because we're in this election week. If I can just cycle yeah. back to it for just one second. I think this is important because we've played guitar all over the world, you know. Mm-hmm. And certainly a lot as a trio all over this country. And if there's one thing I've learned is that we can unite people through music. We can come together through music. And we've, you know, whether we've been in the South or in the Midwest, the East Coast, West Coast, we've seen the power of bringing people together through our music. And for the listeners out there, if you're listening and you're feeling concerned about politics, my only message is just let's all come together. Let's put these four years behind us. Let's find something better because we want to get back out there. We want to start performing again, you know? And, and yeah. again, now let's get back to Josh Smith, a guy who has performed a ton over his life. That was one of the big takeaways for me was just how much he had like a weekly gig when he was like 14 or something yeah. or like two or three weekly gigs, you know, uh, and playing a lot every night. So that's, that's really a big part of it. If you want to get to a high level as a player and really have something to say, you got to be doing that. And you got to really focus on rhythm guitar which he talked a lot about. You know, if you're a guy that's really into soloing and lead playing and you want to try to elevate that part of your playing, don't sleep on rhythm guitar. I mean, John, I know you agree with me, man. 
Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, I feel very grateful that most of the gigs, New West included, I've been in a role where I've had to be a very supportive guitar player. And you learn so much doing that. I think a lot of the guitarists who've come before us in jazz, if they could speak to us, they would they would tell us, you know, that that, that was how they gained their chops and their sensibility. You learn to listen. Um, you learn to really like get time feel conceptualized and then applied in a, in a very useful way. Josh is a great example of that, man. When you hear him play, you can tell he spent a lot of nights on the bandstand. Mm -hmm. And he talks about, you know, there's no real difference when he's leaving quote unquote rhythm guitar playing to quote unquote soloing. It's all in the rhythm in the pocket. And I mean, his playing speaks to that. John, talk a little bit about the interesting parallels that he mentioned between traditional blues and modern blues and how that kind of ties to to the culture of like traditional jazz and modern jazz. Yeah, well, um and I think I think I know what you're speaking of too. It really gets down to like there's there's a there's cultures within these music. There's a culture that really follows the music as it evolves. There's a culture that kind of gets into the critique of say modern jazz and traditional jazz. I mean, we see it as jazz musicians. Hmm. There's a large portion of us that seem to really stick to playing in a traditional bebop sense and then there's people that really want to go as far north as they possibly can with the music. And we see that with blues. And what it really gets down to in terms of Josh's success, I, I believe, is that he's really, uh, he understands where he is in the continuum of blues. And he's not, he's not afraid to admit that he makes certain musical choices because he's aware of his audience. And I, I really admire that because it takes a lot for a musician to say, that in in a way you know that it's and and I'm not saying that he's discounting his art by any stretch of the imagination but it is cool to hear how he's very aware of his audience he's very aware of where he is in that continuation of traditional blues and modern blues and he's a hell of a showman I mean I, I really encourage the high action listeners to to watch clips of him on YouTube and watch how he plays the instrument it's he's um he's really a dynamic player really powerful guitar player for sure this was a really cool interview. I think we should get into it. I really like chatting with Josh, and I hope we can do a project with him sometime. That'd be fun. Yeah, like, cool. Like be four cool. acoustic guitars, just like, that'd be cool. All right, well, we're going to send you listeners into this interview. So without further ado, enjoy episode 11 with Josh Smith. We've got Josh Smith here, guitarist extraordinaire, also living in Los Angeles along with John and I. Although we've managed to never, I've I've never seen you in person. Um, seen anybody in person for the last <laughs> month. So. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Right, right. So, Josh, I'd love love to start by talking about uh, you. Grew up in Florida. You were born in Connecticut. Grew up in Florida. Started performing at an extremely young age. I'd just love to dive into that and talk about you just hitting the bandstand when you were like pre-teenager. Yeah, so we moved to Florida when I was one for my father's work. And so, you know, that's where I'm from, where I grew up, really. And when I was six, I started to take guitar lessons. I got the guitar when I was three, but I started to take lessons when I was six. And, you know, just like a lot of guys, I, you know, I worked hard at it. it. It became clear quickly to me how much I loved it, you know. And 
So I worked really hard and I got good relatively quickly for someone that young. And I reached a point around 12, 13, where I was getting pretty frustrated because I was good enough to play with other musicians. And anyone my age who maybe if they were as into it as I was and, and advanced as I was, if they were, they definitely didn't like the music I liked. They, they, mm-hmm. At that time, it was all heavy metal, you know, everything. And not that I hated heavy metal, I didn't, but it wasn't what I was, you know, most interested in. So I reached this point of, like, frustration where I knew to keep growing, I had to play in band situations. So that was when it was like, well, I should kind of start searching out adults to play with and, and figure this out. I started going to... Uh, you know, open jams, you know, blues jams and things like that. And, you know, at first it was people would cheer for me because I was four foot eight, you know, and <laughs> the guitar would look huge and all that. But I didn't care. Like the second somebody cheered for a solo that I took, hooked for life, like that was it, you know. And so, yeah, the summer between my eighth grade middle school year and ninth grade, you know, freshman year of high school, I went out multiple times every week that whole summer to these jams. And one of the bands at, at one of the clubs that we frequented, me and my parents, of course, because I couldn't go without them, was um, this band, the Rhino Cats. And they kind of saw, hey, if I, uh, maybe if we have this kid play gigs with us, we'll, we'll book some more gigs because people will like the novelty of it. And so I joined the band. And, uh, you know, for the next year, like my freshman year of high school, I played with them basically every Friday, Saturday, sometimes Thursdays, yeah, man. every week, you know. I think those, especially those years from, not even even before I was really touring, but from 13 to 17, when I was gigging just so much, so many hours, and not only that, I was the soloist in the band, so it was like, you know, we're playing two, three sets, so I'm forced to improvise, you know, three hours a night, basically, and, you know, as a kid, that, that makes you develop a vocabulary, even when you don't have that much actual vocabulary. Yeah. Yeah, being on the road, you know, is is something, again, there's no substitute for, like, that experience of what it feels like to play with the same guys for multiple days in a row. And that third gig where you hit this rhythm of, wow, we're we're burning, you know, and and it just keeps going like this. And knowing, oh, wait, if we play 10 days in a row, we're going to hit a lull, you know, because we're all tired and we didn't sleep good and whatever. But that on-the-job training, there's no replacing that stuff. Speaking of you on the road, incidentally, one of my college buddies, Nick Ornelas, was with you for a while. I think when you guys were overseas, he was playing bass with you. Yeah, Nick went with me twice to Europe. On two yeah, years. he says hi. He says what's up. But I texted him. I was like, weren't you on the road with Josh? Like, I'm interviewing him tomorrow. So yeah, small. What a world, great man. guy, man. I love him so much. Yeah, he's a sweetheart. So let's talk about some of your influences. So for me, you know, I started off obviously as a blues guy at heart. You know, so Albert King and B.B. King were the, the most important things to me originally. Otis Rush, Magic Sam, Muddy Waters, Howlin' Wolf, Little Walter, you know, classic blues. And then someone gave me a Stevie Ray Vaughan video cassette. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I was 10 when Stevie Ray passed away, so I, I, I didn't get it live, you know, but I, I got it secondhand. And someone gave me this bootleg that was the live at the Elma Combo show, but before it was an official release. So I put this in my VCR and proceeded to have my life changed. Dude, like, yes. like that, you know? I feel and you. It wasn't even the playing, which was ridiculous. It was, oh my God, look how into it this dude is. Like 150% sweating his ass off. Every note is the last note he'll ever play. <laughs> like, 
and it was majorly inspiring, you know, so that changed my life for quite a while. And then, you know, my dad, I was fortunate, my parents had a huge record collection, uh, vinyl records, and they just love music. We love sports and music in my family, so we would watch games, but we'd have the sound off and we'd be listening to records. Mm-hmm. And so my dad had, you know, a ton of rock and roll, but a ton of blues, uh, a ton of jazz. He wasn't a huge jazz guy, but he had, like, the important shit. So, mm-hmm. like, Monk would be on, or Giant Steps would be mm-hmm. on, or Kind of Blue would be on, or Freddie Hubbard sometimes, or, you know, like, good stuff would be on. And and so it would start to seep in. And my mom loved soul and R&B, and that's where my love of, of that stuff came from, Motown, Stax, Memphis music. Mm-hmm. And all that kind of started to roll into a ball, you know? Man, speaking of Monk, I heard you go into Well You Needn't at the live at the Spud. I love, yeah. dude, look at that. Got the Thelonious Monk shirt on. Um, John knew he was coming to a jazz show. So <laughs> I wore, wore this shirt just for you guys. That's, we love it. Dude, we love it, dude. You're the best, man. When did you move to L.A. with the family? 2002. So mm-hmm. I've been out here 18 years now. So you moved here, you started touring. I, I read that you, you started touring with Ricky Fonte. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was my first gig when I got out here. So basically, in 2002, I got married. and So I was 22 years old. I had been doing my thing for, you know, eight years, really, from 14 to 22. And especially from the minute I graduated high school, I lived in a van and toured the country. And, you know, that was all I did. Money was didn't matter, you know. I, I was just mm-hmm. having fun and like pushing myself. But then I I grew up, you know. I met my wife. We got married. I, I needed to make like a real living, and the LA thing was like, you know, what do I do? What do I do? I was getting frustrated because some people my age in my field were starting to have a lot of success, and I was still just you know hitting it, hitting the wall. So mm-hmm. I would uh, I had friends. These guys, Johnny Lang, Kenny Wayne Shepherd. Bonamassa yet wasn't wasn't he was in the same situation I was in back then still scuffling mm-hmm. but like some of my friends were starting to have all this success and and I got frustrated I needed to be an adult so I thought you know what I think I'm a good enough guitar player to maybe go make a living just playing guitar uh, so actually my uncle uh, Alex is the father mm. uh, David Frank I asked him if I could come stay with him for like a, oh, wow. a few weeks or a month and just check out LA now I'd been here on tour and played a few gigs here and there. But I'd never, you know, soaked up the scene and lived here. So I came and stayed right before my wedding. I came and stayed with my uncle for a month. And I went out every night. He let me have a car, one of their cars every night. And I went to every jam I could, shook every hand. You know, I thought, I think I could make a go of it. Like, I, I should, we should do this. So I convinced my wife, hey, we're about to get married. Let's, uh, right after the wedding, we'll pack up a truck and drive out here. And wow. Move in, you know, and... It was a good move, you know. It took a year before gigs really started to become regular. And Ricky Fonte was the first, like, touring gig that I did, you know, other than my own. Where all of a sudden we're flying everywhere and I'm on tour buses and there's help. And, you know, this that was my introduction to that world, you know. You're not squeezing into a van with your guitar neck over your shoulder (laughs) driving for six hours. You mentioned Johnny Lang, and and also I know you've you've come up with with Johnny Lang and Derek Trucks. I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Yeah, well, Derek, I've known since we were both, you know, so young because he's from Florida as well. Mm -hmm. And we used to play together all the time. There was a club in Fort Lauderdale, which was where I lived. He's from Jacksonville. He would play it once a month with his band. They'd come down and play this club for a weekend once a month and my band would play there's two stages so we would alternate sets 
four huh. sets a night till four in the morning. Wow. Now, granted, we're 13 years old at this time, but we I'd go sit in on his stage and then he'd come sit in on my stage and we became friends. And, you know, he always kind of had the, the phrasing and the feel that he has now. He was something special right away. He didn't have like all that vocabulary he has now, but he had, he sounded like that already, like this yeah. grown man. He's, he's still very much the same guy. He's very shy and soft-spoken and uh, he's a great dude. But yeah, yeah, I grew up playing with him all the time. And, you know, it, it was part of, that was part of my frustration level was he wasn't having so much success yet at that point when I moved out here on his solo thing, but he was in, he had the Allman Brothers. You know, he joined the Allman Brothers then. And then Johnny got signed, and he was younger than me. And Kenny Wayne Shepard yeah. came out, and, you know, he was great. And I, I couldn't figure out what I needed to do. And that's that's when I hit my level of, you know what, I'm going to take a break from this stuff. Mm-hmm. So you have a pretty stellar home studio, from what from what I understand. And like you were mentioning, you've been producing a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Has that kind of increased this whole season? Have you found yourself more in a studio mindset, or have you been writing, or...? Uh, well, the COVID thing has been weird for me. I'll have little spurts of, you know, motivation to do something, and then I'll just have no one want to play at all for mm-hmm. a time, which is so weird because over 30 years now, I can't tell you more than one or two times in life where I've went more than two, three days without picking up a guitar. Right. So, yeah, I've done most of the studio stuff I put off, you know, over the last six months. Like, oh... Can you play on this track for me? I've done some of that playing, you know, going back to just doing guitar sessions for people. I've been able to, the good thing is we've mixed a bunch of records that were already tracked of mm-hmm. people, people's problems, projects that I produced. So we were able to just jump into mixing on that stuff and get those things done. In the middle of mixing one right now that I'm producing for Andy Timmons, great guitar mm. player. Uh, he came here just before COVID and tracked his new record here at my studio. So it was ready to mix so we, we're, we're in the middle of mixing that this week actually man i'm curious with all the traveling you've done does anything stand out like as just some crazy story i know i'm kind of putting you on the spot but it, i mean I've, i imagine you've got some good ones go many ways with this answer yeah. so the greatest story ever <laughs> in my touring life was back when i was 18 and i had you know, graduated high school and we were on the road. I've never told this story on any of these before, so this Uh-oh. is good. Here but, we go. um, uh, so I was in Utah and I think I was in Provo, Utah, actually. And so in Utah, clubs, I don't know if it's still the same, but you had to be a member to go into a club and drink in Utah. Mm-hmm. So all these clubs, when they would book you to come and play, the people in the audience were members. Mm. Or they could buy a temporary membership for that night, which is like buying a ticket. But whatever, there was some red tape. So anyways, it was the drunkest audience I've still to this day ever played for in my life. It was a crazy night, cool gig. But anyways, the promoter, you know, this was, we're, you know, not making a lot of money. I'm a kid. We're on the road. So we're staying at a band house. At least that's what we're told. Not hotels, but band house. It turns out it's his house. And he's got, you know, a few bedrooms, guest rooms, whatever. The house was fine. Not an issue. But we get to his house that night after the gig. And it's just him that lives there. And his nephew, I believe, who was disabled. Sweetheart of a guy. Uh, He wasn't at the gig, so we hadn't met him. And so anyways, we all chatting, wind down the gig, fun gig, go to bed. Four in the morning, five in the morning. I'm asleep, right? 
and the Doors, Riders on the Storm, comes on at, at a level that you could, could not possibly imagine, this volume level, inside this house, right? And a gentleman is walking around the living room singing Riders on the Storm with the track. Uh huh. And I'm like, okay, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't, I'm not going to be mean or anything. He's, you know, he's a nice guy. So I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to lay there. But everybody's like trying to sleep, and I knew we had a long ride. So I go, well, maybe I'll go ask the club owner. Hey, can you maybe, you know, see see if you can get it turned down or whatever. <laughs> so I go to knock on the, the club owner's door, and he lives down in the basement. And he says, what? What's up? And I said, dude, do you hear this? He said, come on in. I open the door to the basement, and I look down the stairway, and there's a leg on the stairway, <laughs> prosthetic leg. And I'm like, what is this? And he comes around the corner and he hops up the steps on one leg and puts his leg back on. And I'm thinking I'm in a Monty Python movie. This dude walks up the stairs, puts his leg back on, gets his nephew to somehow stop. Needless to say, we all woke up and left like a half hour later. Like, all right, let's, let's just get on with the drive. This episode of High Action is brought to you by Jeff Traugott Guitars. Jeff Traugott is an amazing luthier. He's based in Santa Cruz, California. New West has a long history with Jeff. We've performed on his instruments for almost 15 years now, in particular models like the R and the BK. Jeff's instruments are amongst the finest in the world for flat-top acoustic guitars. Uh, Chris Martin of Martin Guitars says, Builders like Jeff have helped raise the standards of our craft to the highest levels ever. So for more information on how you can find one of his instruments or to check out his current offerings, visit TragotGuitars.com. Man, one thing I think we all have in common is, I mean, I've heard you play some serious acoustic guitar stuff with just a hollow body unplugged. And I'm curious about what you find a connection with with rhythm guitar, even like comping for yourself, the way you comp behind yourself. Yeah, well, rhythm guitar is such a overlooked... <laughs> At, in these times yes. aspect of the, the instrument and it's funny you know I don't ever really teach that often and but during COVID I did a week of teaching and I did I killed myself I did 46 lessons in six days basically wow. seven eight a day and you know most people have the same questions I'm sure it's the same when they talk to you guys how do I get out of the box how do I get break down the walls blah 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 but also a lot of people ask me questions about my time feel when I'm when I'm blowing and I try to explain to them it's literally all based on how I learned to play rhythm guitar and the way that I play that's where all my time comes from you know not so much from you know the practicing scales and soloing and licks and exercises it's all from rhythm guitar and I was obsessed with that stuff especially when I was like 16 17 18 because these adults that I was lucky enough to be playing with all the time they were good dudes who were who I guess saw the potential in me and knew like, Hey, to tell me little things that I should, should be listening to and practicing. So, and I paid attention. So when someone told me, Hey, you should go listen to Jimmy Nolan playing with James Brown, like pay attention to that. Or, Hey, we're playing a Motown thing. This is really what you should be doing. Get your right hand in check. You know, you got to be down on those quarter notes. You know what I mean? And, or this and that, you know, and, and I worked hard on that stuff because Failure or fear is a great motivator. So when I would play something wrong around these adults who I was, you know, I revered really, it would make me work on it until the next gig. I There was no chance I would mess that up. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, the rhythm rhythm guitar, I, I think guys want to get to the fun stuff so fast that they don't realize that that's equally the fun stuff. It's like being a part of the ensemble, supporting what's going on, whether it's a singer or another soloist or whatever, you know, and, and doing your job back there in the band. Like, you know, yeah, we all want to blow all the time, but even on my own gig where I'm soloing all night long, I still spend probably the largest por portion of time on the gig playing rhythm guitar and singing compared mm -hmm. to how much I blow, you know? So it's like you can't overlook that stuff. And I mean the rhythm guitar and the blowing, it's all in the time. It's in the groove. And like with your playing, when I hear it, it's just seamless. It's all got the pocket. Yeah, I mean that's something – again, I think that's a lot of the hours that I've been able to, to just play. I know I've been just lucky to play so many hours with people from mm -hmm. such a young age. And I think that's, you know, whatever. We all have our own pocket, you know. But I know that's where mine came from, the, the internal clock. That So when I'm blowing, I don't know about you guys. When I'm blowing, you know, it kind of lays itself out for me. So when I'm going over bar lines or switching between triplets and straight phrasing or this and that, I hear that as just the same way I hear if I'm playing a funk rhythm, chink, chink. That's the same way I'm hearing my soloing. You know what I yes. mean? It's all the same thing. What are some of the most like dynamic lessons you've had, whether it was a formal lesson or if it was like an event where you really just took something away from it? Yeah, I have, you know, times in my life, you know, where people just set me straight on things that, that always, you know, register. So it was like, as a kid... I used to hang out at this one music store and there was an older jazzer there and he was the first guy to like show me little things, you know, like how mm -hmm. to connect this chord to this chord, you know, and so I'll never forget like those, those little lessons or the first guy that started to teach me about like harmonizing with myself and it was because I wanted to learn Allman Brothers, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? It was like, how do I, what's really happening here in this Allman Brothers song, you know, and he showed me, you know, or those little moments, you know, and then as I grew up, a lot of it was getting to be around, I've been lucky to be around heroes. And it's not always musical. It's like I was yeah. lucky to, to open for B.B. King a lot of times. And, and you know, obviously the music was ridiculous. But just seeing the way he carried himself as a person, how great he was to everybody, how gracious, how respectful. He went out of his way, even when he wasn't feeling well. Sign every autograph, shake every hand, you know, those types of things. Eric Johnson, when I first met Eric Johnson as a, you know... 15 or 16 year old he went so far out of his way to be kind to me wow. you know and i gave him my first little record whatever and then he sent me a letter to my house from the address on the cd wow because he knew he's yeah. eric johnson and if he sent this letter to a kid it could mean a lot to that kid that he gets that letter now i'm not saying it's responsible for me never giving up but it's one of the things that went Absolutely. into, you know, you get a letter and it says, Josh, it was great to meet you and spend time with you. Really enjoyed your record. You have a bright future. That's going to make you go, wow, Eric Johnson said that? Like, yeah. okay, you know, it's those type of moments you can't replace, you know, when people go out of their way to be kind and tell you. So I try to, you know, my wife gets on me sometimes because it's like, at this point on Instagram, you get so many followers and I get so many messages every day. And most of them are like, how do you set your amp? What do you think about this pedal? Blah, blah, blah. Can you tell me what, what I should do about this? But a lot of them also are, what should I play over this chord? Or what are you thinking when you do this? She's like, you can't answer everybody. But right. I try to. Yeah. Oh, that's solid. You're a good man. You're a good man. Just a lot, one hour of power answers. <laughs> have, you, have you been writing much lately? 
Uh, no, no, I haven't been writing much lately. I I wrote a bunch early on in the in the quarantine. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But I had a goal. So bon, Joe Bonamassa and I are getting ready to produce Eric Gales's new album, mm. and so we all wrote ten songs. Me each, Joe, myself, and Eric, before we got together to kind of start pre-production. So I wrote with that, and I was writing with a goal I needed to write to, for Eric's project. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty much all I've been writing. The, I, I, yeah, inspiration. It's been hard to find the really just sure. the want to write at the moment. Right. And I'm that kind of writer. I um, I can't force it. So many of my friends, they have like their. This is the hour of the day where I write music every day. You know, and mm-hmm. whether it's good or bad, I'm going to write something. You know, and and I respect that. That's a a discipline that I don't have. But I've found that the songs of my own that just personally that I like better are the ones that came out of nowhere and not the ones that I sat down and go, I need a slow song for this thing. Let me just write this slow song, you know, and I knew already I I need to fill a gap or whatever. Not that you can't write a good song that way, but for me, it doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. Better to just write when I really feel something. You You have a new album live at the spud. We, we all know where the spud is. It's two minute drive from me on a, just off the 101, we're going to listen to Letting You Go. Yeah, Josh, uh, we're so stoked to have you on High Action, man. And I tell you, the times you've come and hung at the Goldblum gig, I've been pretty nervous. Oh, I look out and I see you and I'm like, oh, man, like I, I cannot play anything from the blues scale tonight for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but, man, it, you're so gracious and you're so well respected. You, you talk to so many guitar players and every every time they talk about you, man, it's just like you have such a sound. You have a vibe and a sound and everything is great. So I'm, I'm a huge fan, of course. And we, thank you, man. Yeah. And uh, you know, there's so many questions, of course, but there were a couple I thought about today, you know, we're all guitar players. I mean, the three of us guys are, you know, kind of artistically have most of our, our feet in the door of jazz most of the time, but it's interesting, man, we hear you talk and I know we all share a lot of the same struggles with the instrument, whether you're playing, you know, at the baked potato like that, or you're playing at a, in a performing arts center, Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of the people that come here, guitar events, 
like divvying up players by genre and they're like, oh yeah, those guys are jazz guys and he's a blues guy and he's the rock guy. But I think just in talking to you, man, it just feels like we're all kind of sharing the same kind of musical path, talking about time feel, talking about sound and talking about rhythm. I don't know if you feel that way too. I mean, being that we're jazz guys and stuff, if you want to call it that. You know? Yeah. You know, to me, it's all part of the same pot. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's genres of music, whatever. You can't deny that, you know, and I, you know, this is this and this is that, but the fundamentals are, are all apply to all of it. You know what I mean? And blues more than anything is the center of, of all those things, you know? So yes. that's my little world where I started. So yeah, I want to get over here and I want to get over here and I love all this stuff. And for me, I love it. And I'm thinking of it as like, how do I take these things and bring them back into my blues world, you know, so that I can make my blues playing better. And that's something I've struggled with most of my life because I know you guys deal with it in the jazz world too. There's this wall of like, that's not real blues if you play that, or if you play too many notes, or you play this or this. And I'm I'm the opposite of mine, you know, like the more you know can never be a negative. Yeah. you know to what you can do like mm -hmm. you know it doesn't make me a worse blues player that i know how to play through changes or that i know how to do this or that i, I can't understand that sort of thing but i know like you know talking to bruce or jazz guys my whole life it's like there's also the wall between the bebop guys and guys after the bebop and it's like that stuff drives me crazy you know <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I agree man oh, yeah. and like i love seeing you casually hang at norms and talk to bruce and like play on a big box i love that video of you playing the stromberg or the super 400 yeah and you know talking about sound a little bit it, i guess it's kind of an artistic question too it's like as a jazz guitarist I kind of settle on a couple different kinds of amplifiers. I like, my, I have an old Vibrolux that I absolutely love. And then I have a, a Henriksen, which is like a solid state jazz amp that also just really delivers in terms of jazz sounds. Seems like stylistically the way that you play and the times I've heard you play, first of all, volume is a big part of your sound. Yeah. And for jazz, when, we, when you play bebop, of course we're trying to blend and, and, and we're playing generally a lot softer unless I'm playing with like an organ trio where like on Goldblum's gig, that's about the loudest I play with my L5. But do you, do you, like I, I was reading some articles about Stevie Ray Vaughan pairing guitars and amps. He talked about how he got distortion from a Fender and a real lot direct sound from a Plexi. Do you kind of have pairings of guitars and amps you pick or do you just have like some favorite amplifiers like a Dumble style amp you use all the time yeah. I'm just I'm always really curious talking to players like you about that because that seems like yeah. a different thing from what what guys like myself are doing you know sure I mean obviously yeah I have certain pairings that I know I like for certain things to give me certain flavors um for me the biggest part of my formula is yeah volume is a part of it but it's mostly about dynamic headroom and amount of information available to me so volume is a key to having a lot of dynamics available to you because if you compress too much you're not going to have dynamics if you're too quiet you don't have headroom and and you want to raise things up you don't have enough dynamics because you have nowhere to go you know as you build things up so volume is a big part of it i like a you know a pretty balanced tone you know, I'm I, like everybody else. I like a fight, a uh, fat, tight bottom end, but I don't like exaggerated. There's a, there's a trend of you know we got to have the fattest guitar tone on the face of the earth. But if you have that fat of a tone, no one's gonna hear every note that you play. So I am not afraid of the top end. You know, I play a Telecaster for God's sakes. But you know, top end is important. It's your friend and being heard, and that's what I really want. 
I want people to hear all the nuance that I'm trying to impart. So if I play light, if I uh, lessen my pick attack, or I roll my volume or my tone, I change pickups, I play with my finger instead of my pick, I want people to hear all that difference. And the right. key to that is eliminating compression so that you can be the dynamics. You can make the decisions with, with these, you know, as opposed to letting your gear make those decisions for you. So that's my biggest philosophy no matter what i'm using it kind of has to adhere to those guidelines for me Josh, it's, it's good to meet you virtually, my man. Yeah, likewise. Um, these guys have covered so much, and it's really just been a pleasure to kind of be a fly on the wall here and listen to you talk about your career and your artistry. For a guy that's taken the 175 into really the jazz realm, I'm still a huge fan of blues guitar. It means so much to me. And to hear you uh, play the way you do, it really just evokes a lot of the emotions that I remember hearing as a kid listening to Stevie Ray Vaughan, like listening to the old Austin City Limits stuff. And I'm just wondering if you would just indulge a jazz guitarist a little bit and talk about uh, what Stevie Ray Vaughan meant to you and what some of those recordings really meant to you, um, whether it's Double Trouble or anything that, that, you know, connected with you. Yeah, I mean, Stevie is so important to the foundational level of me, you know, of what I do. Yeah. And it was, again, it was, yeah, the, it was the music, the playing. I learned, you know, I can still literally pick up a guitar and regurgitate every recorded Stevie Ray Vaughan solo, note for note, including many live ones, you know, from bootlegs, this and that, you know, because I, I spent so many hours on that stuff. But it was also really important for me for another reason, and that was because, you know, as a kid, you get obsessed with these guys, you know. Yeah, so yeah. he was my guy and, and my hero. And I went so far down this rabbit hole that it actually enabled me to finally like see from the outside, ooh, I'm going too far trying to play like somebody else. And it was an eye-opening thing of, I've got to start trying to find what makes me me. And that definitely was like the beginning of me realizing that. You know, I knew every solo by note, note for note, and I saw adults doing this too, you know, yeah. doing the Stevie Ray thing, and it became clear to me. Like, oh, I should I should move away from this, you know. I, I can love it the same, but I should kind of start to find my own world in there. You know? It was important in, in those ways. And he also, you know, yeah, I already knew Albert King before Stevie, you know, so it wasn't like he introduced me to Albert King. But he did introduce me to other things in the blues that maybe I wasn't up on, you know what I mean? Different songs and different things. And also he let me know, like, 
the same way Robin Ford lets me know it's okay to play this stuff in a blues setting and yeah. still sound like a real blues guitar player. Yeah. Stevie let me know it was okay to be aggressive and to play, you know, uh, more notes, and you're not going to lose this that feeling that, that blues gives you, you know. And yeah, again, just like in, we were talking about with bebop, it's like that's a that's a problem in in blues where people have a problem embracing, you know, those movements. It's yeah. like. I feel what Stevie plays equally as much as I feel what Albert King plays or B.B. Yeah. King plays. And that's all that matters. Yeah. Do I feel it or not? You know, or do you feel it or not? Exactly, and, yeah. You know, so he, he let me know it was okay to do these other things. You know? It's such a pleasure yeah. to hear you talk about that. Um, that. All that resonates with me, uh, even with other guitar players, too, that I'm checking out. Just, you know, the, the idea that they give you permission to kind of play in certain ways that, you know, help you build your artistry. There was something else I just wanted to ask you about. I, I listened to a podcast you did with, I think it's Norm's Rare Guitars interview. And one thing you wanted, to, you talked about was just, we touched on it a little bit, was about how crucial your development was to just playing gigs all the time, playing gigs all the time, being out on the road all the time. And, you know, we've talked about this in New West for so many years. And for, for people who are listening, especially younger people, like if you want to get to a point where you can really play, perhaps even get, to a point where you can play somewhat like Josh here, I think a big part of it is being out on the road and, and playing. And can you talk about the, the difference that you see in the people that you're, were your contemporaries and had that experience and then kind of what you're seeing now with some younger musicians that might not have that choice as, as much? Yeah, it's really interesting because guys get so advanced so much quicker now because, yeah. again, they have so much information available to them. So a young guy will come over to hang out and, you know, he'll be at this level that I couldn't have imagined being at at his age. But then we'll play a vamp and jam and it'll run out of things to say. Exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. And it's because, yeah, that on the job thing, you can only learn certain things on the job. And it's, again, it's not all music. It, it could be stamina. It could be learning how to read a room. You yeah. know, when I'm playing it as a kid in front of a room of drunks or whatever, I may have to do something different to get their attention yeah. or to even get any attention from something I'm playing. Or, you know, if the room is loud, I may need to bring it down to get their attention and let them know there's something going on over here or vice versa. You know what I mean? If they're not paying attention, I may need to step it up. You learn, you know, you learn those things only on the job. Uh, I learned that my intonation on my guitar sucked once I really got out there and started playing with other people or that I had no idea what it meant to change my tubes or uh, make sure that all my gear was in order and be a real professional. Yeah. Again, you can only learn those things on the job. And yeah, those opportunities are, are, you know, not there anymore for everybody. And I know that's directly responsible for me being, you know, in, in the spot that I'm in is it's, it's those gigs, those hours that work, you know, that's a big part of who I am. Yeah, totally, totally agree. A hundred percent. And I hope that that resonates with a lot of people who might be listening that, in this world of uh, video conferencing and social media and everything, that it's still really important to, to get out there and experience what it's like being on a gig, experience the challenges of different gigs and, and different places. So, um, Oh, yeah. Whenever anybody asks me, oh, what should I be doing more? It's like, well, just take every fucking gig you get yeah. offered. Literally every gig. If yeah. it's $70 at Hotel Cafe backing up a singer – you know, or whatever that, I mean, if you, whatever gig, if it's cover band gig, weddings, casuals, every gig makes you better, no matter what, yeah. 
Yeah. So 100%. it was like there was a period when I would turn down no gigs, no sessions. I would do anything because it wasn't about the money. It was about the experience because I knew I was going to take something from this and it was going to make me a better musician. Mm -hmm. Well, you're, you're an incredibly talented cat and we were stoked that you were willing to uh, spend some time with us on this podcast. So thank you. Thanks, thank guys. You, and I, I love all your playing, and we got to hang. Goodness. It's one of my dreams to have a cat like you produce something for New West Guitar Group because I feel like as a guitar player, you would have so much interesting stuff to tell us because we record live in the studio. Like, we go on the road, play the arrangements for a lot of nights, and yeah. then we go record. And I know that's, that's, that's the lineage of, like, where cats like you are coming from. Yeah. Yeah. I see I the producing thing I'm really really loving doing it. Now, yeah, the the bulk of the stuff I've produced in the last few years have been guitar players. So they're it's people who reach out to me because of what I do and and what I like and my knowledge. But I'm also now producing other stuff too, which has been uh, again, it's the same thing we've been talking about. I produced this pop record for a female last year, you know, kind of Amy Winehouse type stuff, and it's like now I'm in the middle of like a real poppy project. And it would be normally something I wouldn't want to do, but I want to do it because it's going to make me a better producer and a better musician, a better engineer. And man, I really, uh, I, at the heart of me, the gigs and all that, is I, I have this inner like drive to be better tomorrow than I am today at whatever yeah. it is, you know? Yeah, um, man. Come on. Yeah. I don't think you, you can understate like how important that is if this is what, you know, we all know guys who we grew up seeing play uh that were our personal like those local heroes you know not the big stars that are heroes people right. were important to us and we all have ones that we saw stagnate too and stop oh, yeah. growing guys our age who we grew up with yeah. and we played with and then they still play the same now at 40 that they played at 25 yeah. you know and it's really important to me not to let that happen like I, you know i want to hear six months every six months if i listen back to a recording i want to hear a lot of different shit you know, yeah, because I, I want to be growing at all times. Where can uh, our listeners hear you, keep in touch with you, see you? Uh, well, my website, joshsmithguitar.com, because uh, Josh Smith, the basketball player, got joshsmith.com. And, and uh, you know, obviously Instagram and Facebook, Spotify, all that stuff. Who knows when I will be in a city near you again? Yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll see. I have a new record. Actually, I have two two new records in the can so i'm trying to figure out what's next uh last nerdy gear question because i can't resist uh what kind of pick do you like to use uh i use these gravity picks so they're mm -hmm. acrylic um but the shape is like a fender heavy standard shape 1.1 millimeter that's what i grew up I played my whole life fender heavy. yeah yeah man picks, um, but i like the gravity i had to make mine slightly pointier mm. on the end and I like it for rhythm playing. It gives me a little more, you know, funkiness in my rhythm playing. Um, plus, it has a little grip on it, just a little bit of a texture, which helps because I hybrid pick so much. And I also mm. switch between putting it in my palm and not. It helps me do that with that little grip on it. Nice. Thank you so much, Josh. Man. We appreciate you, man. Yeah. Thank you Thanks. so much. Yeah, yeah guys. Uh, yeah, great talking to you. Yeah, man. Be well. Thank you. All right, dudes. Thanks again for joining us for another exciting edition of High Action. We'd like to take this moment to thank our sponsors for making this podcast possible, especially those who follow us on Patreon. 
If you'd like to join us, visit us at www.patreon.com slash newwestguitargroup. There you can subscribe monthly to our Patreon page and get exclusive content from today's podcast. Lastly, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts for all the future episodes. Once again, I'm John Story with New West Guitar Group, and thanks for joining us on High Action.